You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au and don't forget there are hundreds of fascinating podcasts of uh, Radical Australia which are there for you to listen to, especially if you live in New South Wales. Now, sometimes in life you've got to scrape the bottom of the barrel to get a guest here at Radical Australia and today I have really scraped the bottom of the barrel <laughs> and I've pulled out our producer, <gasps> Kelly Whitworth. Hello. Hello, Joe. How are you? This is all a bit weird. Well, it is weird because usually you scrape the bottom of the barrel and find us <laughs> guests. Never. I take the cream off the top. Exactly. That's why I was left with what, the crud at the bottom, which was, I won't say it was you, Kelly. But look, there is there is a purpose to this interview. We did interview Kelly about four years ago and her life has progressed and she's now a celebrity because she's the producer of Radical Australia. Obviously, she's a celebrity and uh, we're going to lose her soon because, you know, people who work here on um, 3CR with me always go on to bigger and better things and I'm, just, I'm left behind. Now, Kelly, last time we met as activists, not over a drink, okay, Mm-hmm. I remember you were involved in a housing struggle down the road. Could you tell us what that was all about? Yeah, that's what um, people know as Bendigo Street. Um, so that was an occupation that we held over the course of about eight months in 2016. And um, that's when I was part of the Homeless Persons Union, which um, I pretty much started up just with my um ex-partner Spike, um, both having um, homeless experiences of different kinds. Um, It was really his brainchild, love child, really. He, um, you know, he was like, there should be a union for people that are homeless or have been homeless anyway. So that's how the Homeless Persons Union started. And um, obviously, you know, volunteering here at 3CR, we come into contact with a lot of people that are doing all different kinds of um, political activities. And um, one of those people happened to know someone else who um, uh, was um, squatting uh, a house in um, on Bendigo Street in Collingwood, which um, had been left empty for ages and ages because, um, you know, they were going to build the, um, what was it, the East-West Link? That's right, yep. And... Um, 
you know, the uh, Andrews government um, came in uh, with the promise that they were going to um, uh, not go ahead with the project. Anyway, to cut a long story short, um, all these people had to um, have their houses compulsorily acquired and then they were left sitting empty there for about 18 months and the Salvation Army was um, gifted um, a number of them uh, to, quote, house homeless people, unquote, and um, six months later, we found that they hadn't housed anyone there. So, um, well, look, look. Let's be fair to the starva- Starvation Army. Mm. Look, it's a big organisation. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry. Why would they bother filling up a few houses in Bendigo Street? That's their they got, job, they got, Joe. No, it's not. Their job is to steer you in the direction of God. <laughs> True. That is their job. Okay, let's get it right. And obviously, they fail with you. Mm. Do you believe in God? Um, no. You don't? No, no. When did you come to that decision? Oh, forever. I've never believed in God. You don't believe in that young, that old bearded man in the sky no. that looks like me? No. Maybe I'm your God. You might be. I'm a- <laughs> Gods that walk the earth. Gods that walk the earth. Anyway, so we decided to um, start a... No, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Every, we've been through all that. I, I want to know something interesting. Is that know. boring you? No, no, no. Is that, just, is that a long-winded answer? No, no, no. I want to know something interesting because there were lessons to be drawn from two because it was an exceptionally important struggle Yeah. where you had a, a significant number of people squatting in a significant number of houses and there was an interesting reaction, not just in the community but from the government and uh, so-called, uh, I call them businesses that deal with homelessness. So... What was the end point and what lessons did you learn from that particular struggle? Um, the end point was that um, some people were actually um, able to get public housing out of it, not there on Bendigo Street but elsewhere in Collingwood, which is a huge outcome, you know. Mm. Um, single women, um, some families, people with disabilities, people that have been long-term homeless. Um, so basically your direct action forced the government yep. to do some cosmetic changes. Yep, and actually true. provide something for these people to diffuse the situation. That's right. Because just, you're getting so much public support. Yeah, it's a huge win because mm. it changed people's lives. You know, it gave mm. them a home. No, but I'm saying, I'm saying the government realised that you weren't going to go away and that they had to do something. Yeah, that's right. And so you actually, through direct action, through the Homeless Persons Union, you're, you're able to change things. Yep. Which is an extraordinary it's achievement. It's amazing. It's, it's an huge. extraordinary achievement. But we got um, bashed from pillar to post. You know, mm. it took a huge toll on us mm. personally. Massive Joe. Like for eight months we were engaged and it probably took um, just as long to get over it. Why? Um, it was very hard. Um, just um, not only dealing with um, the press, um, no support from any of the um, homeless or housing organisations apart from someone like um, a group like um, Housing for the Aged Action Group, they were there on day one mm-hmm. with a financial donation and they supported us. But apart from them... So, so what, why do you think all these organisations, which making a mint from homelessness, didn't support you? Because I think their government, um, they uh, get funded by the government. They can't criticise them. So they've got their uh, you hands, hands that, are tied. You realise that's in their contracts? I didn't know that. It's in the contract. If you take a contract with the state government or the federal government, you actually can't criticise policy in that area. Well, I don't know why we're surprised then, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, it was very hard, so there was no support um, and, you know, getting you know dragged through the mud with the Herald Sun and looking into people's 
pasts and putting it on the front page and mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. not only that so there was that side of it but also just um, what people call the lateral violence amongst the people that were actually involved mm-hmm. in the action um, there's a lot of different stuff going on there and yeah. um, a lot of people were just rocking up to our door and Wanting our assistance, where can I get housing? Exactly, you know? yeah, yeah. They we, think, weren't, they think, we weren't there to provide a service. That's right. You're not you a know. service provider. I think that's a, a mistake a lot of activists make. They they slide into service provision because the need is so great and yeah. they don't know what to do. And but yours was, well, you did turn out to be a service provider in the end because your actions forced the government to actually relocate some people who were squatting there because it didn't look good. I mean, I mean, the Herald Sun obviously had a well, the Murdoch press, I call it, had a field day. Yeah. But at the same time, they would have used it as a cudgel against the Andrews Labor government, yeah, which they would have. So, mm. how, how did it affect you personally? You said you had eight months to get over it. Oh, just um, I was emotionally exhausted. Mm. Um, that's all I can say, really. I was just um, burnt out. Right. And um, it was the first big action I've, I'd ever been involved in. And I'd heard people in the past speak about burning out, but I'd never had the lived experience, so I definitely know what that's like. So you're an activist meteorite up in the sky. Oh, and no, you're, you're about to um, yeah. um, you're becoming insult a, me. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, a, you're an activist meteorite, but you... You're becoming a star. Oh, is that right? That's the difference. <laughs> a That's little, little difference. twinkly Because a lot of people, you're right, they do an action. It's not just housing, any type of action. It's, it's very intensive. You're dealing with the media. You're dealing with your friends who kind of disown you because you're in the public eye. You're dealing with the police. You're dealing with private security. You're dealing with your past being dragged, becoming public knowledge, you know, every little miss thing you've done, like, you know, you took off your shoes at a concert in grade five, it's there for consumption. Yep. You've become some type of demonised public enemy number one and uh, normally you lose the struggle. You have some partial victories and, you, and you're supposed to get on. Nobody comes up to you like an Olympic athlete and says, oh, that was a good try, you did Give it a go. You did well. Did anybody congratulate you? At they the end of did. This? It's been really good. At people that know what went on there mm-hmm. have really, um, you know, come forward and said, "Oh, what you guys did was very brave." And mm-hmm. um, people mm-hmm. do recognise. Um, yeah, I have had had had. I've had. I've had nothing but um, good. Um, you know, Fine. no one's no one's ever said anything crappy towards mm. me about it. Yeah, yeah. What, what type of people do you mix with? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> the converted. <laughs> the converted. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But uh, isn't it funny? Sometimes when you're involved in an action, it's all finished. Uh, the people who you like to have been there on the day aren't there, but they come to congratulate you. It absolves their conscience. Um, <laughs> even uh, even though people people that weren't even really supposed to be there, I just appreciate I just appreciated people acknowledging the hard work um, that we did because it was mm-hmm. bloody hard work. And, yeah. and can I ask you a private question? You can ask, but I might not answer it. Uh, okay, how much <laughs> money did the uh, IPA, the Institute of Public Affairs, give you to uh, to do the action? I assume you're rolling in cash it after was, it. Um, you and Spike got billions of dollars. Yeah, I think it was <laughs> five thousand one hundred thirty-five or something, and twenty cents or something for, for like each that. for each day for <laughs> each right. day. That's right. And this is what people forget: this was a volunteer action. Oh, yeah, of course, it was totally volunteer yeah. action, and it was your own resources not just physical but monetary resources because a lot of money goes into something like that. You've got to get enough food, stuff. It just goes on and but on. But the community, like it was a huge thing. The community mm. really came together and we were, 
you know, furnished with so much food and furniture for the houses. So mm. it was a really um, – there was a lot of positivity mm. about it. Don't mm. get me wrong, but it was, it was really, really hard. Yeah. Is there any lasting legacy? Um, well, the, those people that have housing. No, apart from that. I mean, in, generally outside of the, the action, was there any lasting legacy in terms of uh, government policy? Uh, yes, I think um, you put me on the spot, so I might not be very eloquent about it, but I think um, their policy regarding um, in public housing when they find people that are um, inhabiting a place um, illegally, so to speak, they can't just turf them out anymore. They have to go through a, a checklist like a human – that's right, they have to go through a human rights kind of checklist and make sure – People um, are going to be connected to services or things like that. That so that's a really huge um, win, actually. Well, it's a win long term because it means that people who are homeless now, if they do squat public space, public buildings, and there's heaps of empty ones around, they can actually have a, uh, a clearer pathway to what's left of the public housing sector, even even the. Uh, community, the so-called community social housing sector, there is a pathway because it's about embarrassment. I'll give you an example. I mean, you were involved in the uh, 2018, you know, 10-day uh, sit-down on the steps of Parliament House just before the federal state election, the last state election. Two weeks before the election, the uh, Andrews Labor government promised to build 1,000 public houses. How many do you think they've built now in 2021? Zip. Nil. But they were forced to make that public pledge and what I think you demonstrated and what small groups can have a profound impact. Yeah, but what you just said, you know, one hand giveth, the other taketh because while they said they were going to build 1,100, I think it was, yeah. um, public housing, they just, what, demolished yeah, but it's on the public, how many? Yeah, but it's on the public record. They never built one, hmm. obviously. It's against their policies, but it does force them to act does force them to act and a small group can make a difference. And another I think good outcome Joe was that um, I think what it did was it started to um, show the government and the commercial media that actually if you are homeless you can actually have a political voice mm. as well and yeah. um, mm. and I think that action um, snowballed into I don't know if you remember there was an action um, in the city square That's that right. went on That's for right. a number of weeks um, right. during that winter yeah. and then the whole thing at um, Flinders, Flinders Street, Street. like right. I think yeah. those folks down there were empowered to actually yeah. say hey you know like we're staying yeah. here and so it's 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 built on from that uh, I, mean, Street. I mean what I'd like to see which I, I didn't see is there's plenty of homeless people if you if a hundred homeless people camped on the steps of Parliament House mm-hmm. it would make a huge difference because it brings the issue directly to the politicians because if you go to the steps of Parliament House and you sit there, and nightfall comes, you'll find within 50 metres in Burke Street people living rough overnight, but they just tend to walk over them and continue. Yeah. So how did you recover? Um, I think soon after, funnily enough, the whole um, Robert Doyle making homelessness illegal thing in the city of Melbourne came up, and that was during the um, Australian Open and all that. That was in early 2017. So I threw myself into that. that. Did you, uh, from the fire <laughs> into the pit. 
I was I was taking a rest at home, and then I got a phone call from an ABC journalist saying, "Oh, what do you know about what's going on?" Um, uh, uh, you know, down yeah. there, and I was like, I don't know anything about it. You said that to an ABC journalist. You say, well, look, if you come down, I'll have a chat to you. <laughs> oh, if you come down to the action, I'll have a chat. You never say oh, you don't was, know anything burnt, about it. I was burnt out. I just didn't want any part uh, of it, but then I just thought I really uh, need to do something. Anyway, that was a huge win because um, we organised, and this time we got more people that were actually currently um, rough sleeping mm. um, involved, and we went to a town hall meeting, um, it was all very well organised and Justice Connect, the um, uh, legal organisation, got involved and uh, um, that ed- ended up not going through that bylaw that he wanted to um, mm. bring into being. Poor which, old Robert. Poor. And then all those months later all that stuff came out about him. Yeah, but the fa- Sweet justice, really. Well, the fascinating thing is it had been going on for decades. Yeah, I know. You know this, this, this I don't mean to make light of it. No, but no, 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 no. So let's get back mm-hmm. to you. You, Kelly. Now, do you have a, a twin sister called Kerry? How do you know? <laughs> She's better looking. She makes more money. I hardly ever see her. Well, that's why you're my producer. That's why you're a producer for – not my producer, but the producer for Radical Australia. We could never afford your twin sister, Kerry, could we? You've got very different interests. Yeah, I think she's a figment of – my imagination. <laughs> I've always wanted the, you know, the more, you know, cosmopolitan, exciting, caring in, in the studio, and I get you. Oh, well. All right. But you didn't answer my question. So you raced into the Doyle fracas and mm. you won that one. So how did you get back into the real world? I can't remember. I you just can't. took a long rest, I think. Took and a long rest. Yeah. What? Yeah. Surfing? I really can't, I can't remember. Right, it was right. like, Four or five years ago right. now, Joe. I can't. Maybe I, I resumed because um, I used to do a radio show here on Three CR. What, what did you do? Ruminations. It was a peer homelessness program. Mm-hmm. Did that for a long time. I think I just started getting into that again, and I think I started maybe training here at Three um, CR. Um, what you were doing the training? Yeah, training people that come through to um, learn mm-hmm. how to what make is, what, radio. What, what does that entail? Um, so it's a you know it's a course over a number of weeks, and people that are interested in becoming um, volunteer broadcasters here, they come and do a course with different mm-hmm. modules, and they learn how to do all the stuff that we do, you know, to produce. No, no, hang on, could, could, I, could, I, could I correct you there? All the stuff you do, all the stuff that no, but <laughs> I don't do it. You were too quick, so I was going to say you have to learn <laughs> how to use your microphone that's correctly right, that's right, and all yeah. that stuff. So you do do a little bit presenting, yeah. presenting a show. Well, <laughs> you know, I came into the three CR in nineteen seventy-seven. Mm. We didn't have that. We just walked in and did our best. What do you mean? There was no training. Oh, there wasn't any training. Of course not. The only the only thing that would happen is when you started a new program, you'd have to pre-record it, and somebody would listen to it to see if the quality was all right, and oh. you and you hadn't you know hadn't done anything naughty on it, and then after about two months of your probation, the microphone was yours, and that was it. Okay. And that's why you'll notice all these old fuddy duddies around here, men and women at Three CR, who are know nothing about the dials. And then we've got you youngsters who know everything. But if you wanted, you could still do the course, well, but you don't want to. Exactly. <laughs> that was the key, wasn't it? Wanted to. Why would I want to do the course when you do all the work as the producer? Well, it shares the roles around, doesn't it? You know. Well, see, that's a very important thing, but there are certain roles I, I, I don't want. I don't want to press buttons mm. and 
multitask. Oh. You don't want to, can't multitask. No, I can't. I don't want to. There's a difference. I can, but I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, it's a, it's a terrible thing, multitasking. I mean, I could injure my fingers pressing all those you buttons. Could, I could you? I could get RSI. You could break a nail. How did you know? <laughs> I broke I one like yesterday. I like that colour, by the way. It's very good on you. Yeah, I've always what, what liked orange. What do you call orange. it? Orange. Orange. I call it 70s orange. Remember oh. the 70s orange? Remember the... Oh, like, you were, like the cars. Those yeah, yeah. What, what, what year were you born? 78. Oh, you, you would have remembered. It would have been in, on your brain. Mm. You would have gone into little houses and there'd be bright orange walls, orange chairs, orange tables. It was disgustingly good. Well, all that stuff came back into um, vogue, didn't it, in the 90s, yeah. the whole grunge thing. So yeah, a lot of the yeah. pubs I used to go to had all that stuff, you know? Stuff. Uh, yeah. All that kitschy Kitschy stuff. Furniture. So what would you go to pubs for? Were you in the music scene or something? Oh, I've always liked um, going out listening to music. And I've got a lot of friends who, you know, play in bands and musicians and all that. Aren't mm. they a boring crowd? Uh, no. Why no. do you say that? Uh, well, I don't know. I'm, Why I'm, would they be boring? Well, Music's I'm, not boring. Well, I find it exceptionally boring. But, <laughs> but, but, but So you spent your misspent youth going to pubs listening to bands, not getting drunk. Both. Both, right. <laughs> well, that's the perfect misspent youth. At least you Not ex- misspent, no. No, at least no. you had. So can you tell us of any interesting bands you, you remember? Oh, so <laughs> Great many. silence, pause. She can't remember anything. <laughs> so many. Uh, oh, so many. <laughs> but there's a quite notorious one from Melbourne. Mm-hmm. They're called Blood Duster. Are they still around? Um, no, they've all matured a bit and they've gone on to do other projects. Right, they um, all joined the ABC, right. No, no, they're still no. musicians, right. but um, oh, so many. Why were they bands. notorious? Um, their music was really heavy. Right. And um, I think they initially they used to come out like um, with all fake blood all over them. No, and right. I'm not really into that no, horror so. kind of look, but they were really, really fantastic, heavy yeah. Um, musicians, right. um, but they're not everyone's cup of tea. But right. I like all different kinds of music. Yeah. Mm. So, what, what do you th- uh, say pre-COVID? What do you think's happened to the music scene the last few years before COVID? Was it still buzzing, or has it kind of died down a bit? Oh no! I mean, I'm not like really intimately involved in it, but I mean, you can go out any night of the week. As another guest said on this show a mm. couple of weeks ago, you can go out any night of the week and see someone playing, mm. even if they're playing to three people. That's right. Yeah, you've yeah. sport for choice. You really are. Right. Yeah. So the pubs are still allowing musicians to go in. And, yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, they haven't closed that, and there are enough. Independent pubs left, are there? Um, I mean, I couldn't speak to that, but um, mm. there's always some venue that's or some night that's opening somewhere, and um, mm. I just think um, it's 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 pretty healthy. But I mean, I can't compare it to you know. I have travelled, but I'm not like really really well travelled. I couldn't compare it to knowing intimately what it's like in Berlin or London or whatever. But I've always found it great here. You've got a choice of where to go to any weekend, yeah. Yeah, I remember you were in the Netherlands about 15 years ago. Yeah. What was their pub scene like? Um, I mean, the town that I was in is obviously not a city mm. like Melbourne, but um, yes, I don't think it can compare. But even like thinking about Amsterdam, it doesn't have the diversity of venues um, like we do here in Melbourne. Like, it's th- I think it's really um, it's a really blossoming kind of culture here it's amazing it's amazing yeah, a, lot, a lot of people say that it is a lot of people say come actually come to live in melbourne because yeah. of that, that, that pub scene yeah. that culture yeah 
Yeah. Which is, I find amazing, you know, about yeah. the, the only cultural thing I'm interested in is plants. Melbourne's... <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne's always been known for producing really fantastic music, mm. especially that pub rock music traditionally. Yeah. yeah. world yeah. Some world-class musicians come out of this city, no doubt about it. And some very bad ones too. <laughs> but you get that anywhere, <laughs> but a, a lot of good ones, a yeah. lot. All right. Yeah. So your life has taken a little bit of a turn for the difference. As you said, your ex-partner. So... What's it been like the last few years? Just generally. I don't want to know the ins and outs. Um, Nobody's interested in the ins and outs. Generally. How how do you feel? You know, you're over 40 now. How how, how are you feeling? Um, I was really happy to turn 40, actually. Um, Mm. um, I felt it was a new kind of chapter in my life and I was really excited. Um, And those three years have gone by very quickly. Um. And I, yeah, just in general, I feel really optimistic about my life, Joe. I, I do. Um, I don't know. People say that as you get older, things get more gloomy, but I feel no. quite the opposite. I feel like the older I get, the more comfortable I become with myself. My skills are developing. Um, I feel more, yeah, confident in the world, and I feel really positive about my future. Yeah, mm. well, I agree. As you get older, you get, you can become gloomy. You can become introverted and you can become really, really spiteful, you know, because you think that you haven't achieved what you want to achieve or the the world's not your oyster and, you know, everybody owes you a living. But you're quite right. There is a significant group of older people who see it as liberating, the fact they've got all this experience behind them and they can look at things and kind of subconsciously just come to a decision, bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's wonderful that you're feeling positive. Do you feel positive for yourself or the world or both? Um, for myself, but I think um, it's also a choice that people need to make mm. as well, whether they're going to be pessimistic or um, they're going to choose to be positive. I mean, you talk about this a lot, this kind of defeatist attitude that's, that sets in in people's minds and I just think – well, we can't achieve anything if we think like that. You know, you have to you have to be strong and you have to look to the future and think that there is one and you have to make positive changes. Um, yeah, like you yeah. said, that's, that's what Bendigo Street was about because I keep saying cynicism is the aphrodisiac of those who exercise power. They want you to be cynical because if you're cynical, well, you'll be at home watching the Olympics, not listening to I've, Radical I've been, Australia. Well, I've been watching the Olympics too. Mm, well, but you're not <laughs> not constantly. I'm very cynical, but I'm yeah. also very positive, if that no, no. makes you, sense. You're, 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 you're a, what do we call it? You're, ideologically, you're a realistic cynic. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. you're, you realise what the world's about, but the difference is, I mean, there are cynics who think no effort. There's no point. Oh, no, I wouldn't be like that. No, and that's, that's the last thing people want to be like. They say, oh, it's just so overwhelming. They just look at it and they think, oh, there's no point. There's just no point. We're going to lose every time. Well, we don't lose every time. Human history shows us that human beings don't lose every time. And I think just thinking about the interview we did last week with Sally and we mm. were talking about um, neuroplasticity yep. and how um, the world is constantly changing and it's malleable. You know, you can't get into these really fixed grooves of 
thinking. I mean, I don't want to pontificate. I mean, this is just my own. No, no, you belief, can po- look, you, know? you can pontificate because you're the guest. <laughs> That's your role. This is your hour of power. <laughs> don't, you're not going to get another go. And the way you're going, I think you won't be producer here for long because you'll <laughs> go on to bigger and better things. But uh, that's why I thought it was time to interview you. Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's the world's always it's always it's I think every day it's like an open ended mm. kind of thing, and you always have to. And that's that's a creative part of being human. I think you know, there's always an opportunity to to mould things, to change things in a positive way. Mm. Mm. What do you think about the role social media is playing in society? Um, big question. Well, we always ask the big questions mm. on Radical Australia. I mean, um, my use has changed over the years. You know, I've probably had a Facebook account for, I don't know, maybe 20 years now, and that whole platform has really changed over time. Um, I'm noticing more that, um, I mean, I use mine in quite a person. It's how I connect with a lot of friends or just stay in touch with a lot of um, friends, and um, I tend to post quite personal things. I don't do it very often, but I post meaningful things about what's going on for me in my life. But I've, I'm finding that a lot of people don't tend to use it like that anymore and they just more more share um, news articles or just little funny pictures or a saying or um, it's just such an – it's a um, it's an avalanche of information that mm. you get on there and um, it does change the way that you um, – take in information I think and your attention span because you have these things like the news feed where every contact contact you have they'll show everything that's been posted by that personal organization in the last 24 hours and you just end up flicking through so much content you know because you don't have the time to read every no. single thing so it, I think it's changed people's brains in that way mm, do you think you people are becoming prisoners of, of social media I think um, some people have um, and some people haven't. No. Mm, you've got to use it wisely. Yeah, yeah, because I think people forget that they're the, uh, they're the source of the profit for those companies. It's your information. That's what you pay for. I know. And the fact that it's a private platform means that they owe you nothing. I know, but you can say that, but they've also got you by the short and curlies because – we are social creatures and we do want to connect with others and it's, yeah, remember, it's one remember, way people do, yeah, Joe. Remember when you used to go to the pub? <laughs> I know. I know. Seriously. You, you've got to break you've yeah. got to break out of the social yeah. media because um, you're the product. Then. You're the product. I use social media. Well, I don't. Other people do it for me, but mm. I, th- I think it's useful in terms of sharing information. But in terms, of, I think of uh, anything else, it's useless because it's basically it's about monetizing. You're the product and they make money out of you as a product. I mean, but it wasn't designed to be that. It was designed to be the great democratic forum and now it's become an anonymous cesspit, you know. Well, you know this one called TikTok. I I don't use it, but Mm. it's more of a video kind of platform and apparently – um, the the owners of that, they're in in China somewhere. Um, That's right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, but but it's yeah. the same with Facebook. They can they can access your photos and videos That's on right. your on your phone. That's right, and so can Facebook. So can anybody else because you're you're the product. The the your information is what they sell in order to make a profit. It's your inf- and you freely give your information because it's 
this service is free, F-R-E-E, and that's because it's free. They set all the rules and all the boundaries, and there's no point you complaining. And if you don't get government coming in to regulate, which it hasn't to a significant degree, what you find is they set they set the boundaries, they set the parameters, you're the product, and uh, they just move on. I mean, people they talk about monitorising their presence on Facebook. Everything's becoming monetarized. The yeah, whole world, yeah. every facet of people's lives—it's—it's mm, mm. it's terrible. Mm. And I think we'll know more to the answers to that question you asked me in the in the long term when we mm. look at it more of a, as an intergenerational thing, mm. how it's affecting people. Do you think you know? people are beginning to realise? For sure. Yeah. But the younger ones, um, there was this young girl on a program the other night, and she spends her full time life um, having this account on. Um, TikTok, where she just she documents every aspect of her life. Her whole life is filtered through right. the camera, and you know she said, um, and she's you know, like she lives with her parents in some rural area. She doesn't have time to see. She has no social life outside of this mm. bloody TikTok thing. And I felt so sad for her, but right. she was just so keen to be what they call this influencer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she gets paid yeah. by cosmetic that's companies. Right. That's to, right. That's I mean, this right. is all pretty old news now. This has yeah, been going on a while, hasn't that's it? That's right, yeah. Look, yeah, look I'm, just, I'm just interested as a phenomenon because I think, I think what COVID-19 has demonstrated to people is we're social animals. We're social animals. And although some people get sucked up by um, TikTok and Facebook and whatever other platform, I think most people still want to interact socially that's why you know you saw people out in the streets because they're unhappy about the fact that they're yep. they're locked down there's because we are social we're we're, ca- we're basically cattle <laughs> you know we're like cattle we're Higher like sheep primates. yeah we're like sheep we're like i mean mm. we, we like to interact that, that that's that's what that's how we define ourselves our characters our our strength our weaknesses and so they play on that all yeah. these that's what i'm that's saying that's right oh you know? they got these was it algorithms which play on that and it's all computerized and bang 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 mm. you know i mean um, i don't use it much but um, it's useful to get information across until you get banned yeah, look, we're halfway through this interview. Well, this chat. I don't do interviews. I'm chatting with the producer, and I think we'll get on to the hard questions in a minute. But this is uh, Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. I'm chatting to the producer of Radical Australia, Kelly Whitworth, and her imaginary twin sister, Kerry. <laughs> Now, how did you get sucked into this program? Was the, the, the staff here at Three CR said I was desperate or something, desperate and dateless? I think you approached me. I hang on, <laughs> excuse me, madam, excuse me. Look, I may, no. I, I may, I may be old, but I have, I'm not a DOM yet. <laughs> yet, I'm, I'm aspiring to be. You know what a DOM is? No. A dirty old man. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think um, it was the. Programming coordinator here said um, there was a spot for a new producer yeah. for Radical Australia. Would I be interested? Yeah. And I said yes, I'd yeah. love to. Yeah. How's, how's the experience been? It's been wonderful. Really? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Well, you've done extraordinary things for the program. I mean, what what are the things you've done in the last few months? I, I can't believe all the effort you put into it. I, we click a button and there and there's the program and there's the guest and. There's the podcast and... I just do what a producer does if they have the time and mm. they're interested in 
in doing it. Um, so obviously I, you know, look for guests and um, that in, that involves, I guess, firstly really understanding what the show is, a, is about, you know, so I can speak to people about that and get them on board and allay their fears, you know, because... Excuse me, they're fearful of talking to me? Well, I think for um, a lot of people, speaking on radio can be really nerve-wracking. Especially if it's about them. About them, and it's a one-on-one interview yeah. and um, mm. all that jazz. And, um, and it goes for 56 minutes. Yeah, it's with you. Yeah, you know. And there's no advertisement. There's no music unless you play a musical instrument. We're very There's strict. nowhere to hide. Oh, there's nowhere to hide. Even on the t- telephone, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> but, um, no, it's a great opportunity for people to... Um, share something of themselves and the amazing things they've done in their life. And by amazing, I don't mean like extraordinary, just the simple things that they've done to try and make a, um, this place a, a better world, you know. And um, mm. so, yeah, I, I, I look for guests and I, you know, try and establish good relationships with people and, um, and then I do all the work here, um, you know, having the guests come in and um, – working with you and doing all the technical stuff to put it to air. And then when that's finished, we um, package it all up and create a, write a nice little bio mm. and um, we podcast it and that gets put on. Um, yeah, excuse me, excuse me. Could, mm. could I correct you? You do that. Oh, well. No, yeah. don't you? Let's... It's a team. We're a team, though. Well, I do the interview. You you pick up – you. Pick the sacrificial lambs. I do. I, I do the chatting, and then you kind of, you know, put them up. Do all that. Look, you do an exceptionally amount of work for Radical Australia, and I think it's because you, you enjoy the program. Because I think I don't think people understand the how important this program is. Because what it's about, it's about ensuring that the efforts people have put in to particular struggles are acknowledged. And it's a way of thanking those people. It's a way of them getting their story out. Because what I find in struggle, and I found this over the years, is that initially when you start on that long road, you're there by yourself and then a few more people gather and then a few more people. And when you're about 95% there, thousands of people join the struggle. And then when you win that particular struggle, you get no acknowledgement. The acknowledgement goes to the politician or the you know the, 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 the you know the influencer or what, and what this program does is actually acknowledge the people who did the hard yards to bring conclusion to that particular struggle. And and the thing is, people pay a huge personal cost, not just in terms of being burnt out, but in terms of being blacklisted, in terms of not getting jobs, in terms of not being promoted. There's a huge activists pay a huge personal cost, and nobody acknowledges that. That's right. That's why the show is really special, and that's why I'm right behind it and passionate about it. I think it's, um, I think it's a great program, a great idea, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people, more so our older activists, have really put in a lot of effort over a long period of time. And their families and friends don't even know what they've done. And a little joke I have with the older actress says, you can use the interview, you know, at your funeral. You know, instead of having those boring slides, you know, when you're a little kid and when you're 97th, you can use the interview or parts of the interview so that people can listen in your, to you in your own words 
what you think you have achieved in your life. Because I don't, I don't agree with Andy Warhol that everybody's got 15 minutes of fame. I think we've all got 365 days and 366 days of fame. Whether it's acknowledged by some communication device isn't relevant. What's relevant is how you feel about that effort. And a lot of people get angry, they get burnt out, they get cynical as they get older because they're not acknowledged. And what this program should do is acknowledge. Now, Kelly. Joe. I'm sure that... Oh, that sounded, like, <laughs> that sounded interesting. I'm sure... Look, we, there, is no, there is no romantic association between Kelly and myself. I can assure you of that. I'm old enough to be her grandfather. Now... That makes me 106. <laughs> now, how do people get on the show? Because you don't know 7 billion people. Um, well, um, you mean like con- ways to contact us? Well, they're just ways. Well, they can contact us, but how, how? If they're interested. If they're interested. Because, see, I do something that nobody else does in radio. I do no research. And, and this is true. I do Anarchist World this week and then a little while later we do Radical Australia and I asked Kelly, because she's producer of Anarchist World this week too, I ask her, um, who's the guest? And usually she gives me the wrong name, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> Once or twice, I may have. <laughs> you know how embarrassing that is. Now, hello, Mr Smith. No, it's Mr Brown. It's Miss Brown. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So, because, so, see... People are shy and retiring, and they think, oh, I'm going to big-note myself. But the trouble is if you don't big-note yourself, nobody else is going to do it for you. And it's not about big-noting yourself. It's about sharing your experiences, and hopefully other people listening will learn something from that and actually take up the cudgel on your behalf. They certainly will. And if you think um, maybe to get over the hurdle, don't think about it um, um, as talking about yourself, but talking about the issues that you're passionate about. Mm, mm. See, most people say to us, oh, I couldn't do 60 minutes. And at the end of the interview, they said, you didn't ask me about this, this and this. <laughs> oh, that went quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's not confrontational. We like to do it face-to-face if we can. Obviously, COVID-19 can make it difficult and we, we will do uh, telephone interviews. So if... So as I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel, I had to interview you today, Kelly Whitworth. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do people throw themselves into the barrel? number of ways. Um, a good way might be to um, um, send an email. They can send an e- email to our um, Radical Australia account, and that's really easy ad- address to remember. It's just radicalaustralia3cr at gmail.com. Or they could, um, you know, call up the station and have a chat to our um, programming coordinator. Um, and the state, uh, the number for um, 3CR is 94198377. Uh, just add an 03 in front of that. 03. If you're yeah. outside of the Melbourne. 03 yeah. 94198377. And, um, you know, drop us a line and I'll get in touch with you and make contact and um mm. well you, you can uh, always yeah. you can always leave a message on my on my phone zero four three nine three nine five four eight nine and I'll pass on the message to uh Kelly. Don't yeah. he, I'll ring back but I'll I'll pass on the message and I'll say the uh, the boss of the show will uh, look at your uh, 
application, <laughs> and if she thinks it's appropriate, pay her $5,000 and you may get five minutes. Oh, we love to have guests come on. That's what it's all about. So if yeah. even if there's someone, if you yourself don't want to come on, but there's someone else that you recommend, yeah. that's also fantastic. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, uh, but kind of warn them. That somebody's going to ring them because yeah. everybody's a bit suspicious these days of these phone calls. You know, would you like to be on a radio show? <laughs> and did you find that? You get, get any suspicious? Um, no, no, no. Uh, it's your voice. It, it lulls them into a false <laughs> sense of security. I usually ask them for their uh, pin number to their account. <laughs> but as a like, it's a delicate role. Um, the producer, I think, especially for a show like this, you really do have to spend the time. Making those initial communications done in a in a in a sensitive and and respectful way and make people feel um, 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 warm and and welcomed and um, enthusiastic about coming on the show. You have to do it in a yeah. in the right way, you know. Yeah, because it is you are sharing parts of yourself, and some people talk about parts of themselves which they've never spoken about before. I mean, we've had all types of. Uh, people on with all types of reaction people cry they laugh they get upset and uh, but uh, and they remember it's uh, we've had people i've had guests from 16 to 97 believe it or not yeah so it doesn't matter how old you are sometimes at 16 you've done more than most people have done in a lifetime you know i haven't i haven't been here since you've had a young guest like that well that's your fault you're the producer <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it if you don't mix with young people because now you you're have, over 40. Do you have to be a certain age to come on radio, actually? Is it 18? Uh, 16 is the age you 16. can see. 16. 16 should be right. And the thing is, if it's if, anybody, if anybody's uh, younger than that uh, and they've got something to say, what we normally do is get written permission from their parents and get them, one of the parents or one of their caregivers, um, to come with them mm. uh, to share their story. But again, uh, we usually tend to chat with people on the older spectrum because they're going to die soon and it's important we put everything down before they go because oh. I mean it's very serious it's mm. for some people they may have done 40 50 60 years of extraordinary activity and they've even forgotten a lot of the stuff they've done and they come on the program and they're able to remember because we start at the beginning and you know we and if they're concerned about the nature of the program, all they've got to do is listen to some of the other interviews, and yep. some of them are riots. They are indeed. And some are very, very sad. Hmm. But uh, as you said, respect is the key issue. I'm not here, and obviously you're not here to make judgments or um, win points. It's not that type of radio, and that's hmm. why it's. I think it's Radical Australia is effective because I'm not here to judge people. I'm not here to make any political points. I, I, want, I want to hear their story. Yeah. And it's I know it's a bit of a cliche but you know I think it's becoming more understood that it's through our stories that we um we sh- we learn about each other you know by sharing those stories they form us. Mm, well that's what the human history has been about before a settlement and even after settlement it's only in the last 200 years that most people have been in a position to be able to read or write in different cultures so so you know the the memory of the group was propagated through stories and stories were exceptionally important. If you talk to any Indigenous people, it doesn't matter whether they come from, you know, from um, Canada or, or Australia or you talk to them and, and the importance of storytelling is just extraordinary as far as their culture is concerned because that's their cultural memory because if there are no stories, there's no memories and that's what Radical Australia is. It's a story. It's a story about 
you and your interaction with the people around you, the community as a whole, and possibly in some cases the world as a whole. Yeah. Do you think that every every time we open the, our mouths we're telling a story? Do you think it's that um, kind of primordial, that everything's a story? Well, we all think, although we may not... Quite, it's a deep question. No, 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 it's all right. I'm happy to deal with deep questions. That's my specialty, <laughs> dealing with difficult, <laughs> difficult interviewees. But <laughs> that's my sp- ultimate specialty. So stories, yeah, look... We all think, because we're human and because we're lost in our thoughts all day, we all think we're the centre of the universe. And I'm not saying that in a negative sense, but in the sense is that how, how we interact with the things around us, whether they're whether it's nature, whether it's an animal, whether it's other human beings. You know, even on a, you're sitting on a train and you're trying to ignore everybody, you've got your headphones on, but that, that's an interactive thing, that's a story. You know, it is a story. You getting up in the morning, doing what you're going to do during the day, and going to bed at night. That is a tw- that is a story. It's an ex- and at night, if you're lucky, you dream, and that's more stories. You know, sometimes I wake up and I think, was that real? Was that a dream? <laughs> well, dreams are real in the sense that you are experiencing them at the time. Mm. Your body might not be moving around, but your mind is. Totally, it's in, it's it's experiencing that. It's living that at the time, isn't it? Mm. Well, Kelly, you just said something very profound then. I'm sure you're going <laughs> to give me a backhanded <laughs> compliment or something. <laughs> uh, you said your body's not moving around. I'm thinking this woman's never slept in the same bed I have. <laughs> I was going to say some people do actually move around quite a bit. Yeah, they do. <laughs> And Go so, for little strolls and everything. Yeah, I had, uh, it's, it's the strolls that's the worry. You know, some people, I know it's... But this is the beauty. See, this is, this is what happens in Radical Australia. What I say to people is, you and I are in a boat. Kelly has made the boat, right? But you and I are in the boat. I've got the paddle. You don't have a paddle. You're at the other end of the boat. And if I see an interesting tributary in your life... I'll go in that direction, Mm. right? And uh, so there is a bit of spontaneity. I don't sit down with a list of questions and say, Hello, what's your name? Date of birth? Prison record? (laughs) (laughs) It it doesn't work like that. No. It's just one human being to another Mm. and we're having a chat, you know, a stranger. And you're spilling out your guts to a stranger. And there are thousands of strangers Listening, because I've been quite amazed at the uh, amount of uh, podcasts which people are accessing on Radical Australia, especially in the last year or so. You haven't uh, paid somebody, have you, to artificially boost the numbers, Kelly? No, I just think, um, well, the show speaks for itself, but um, it's it's getting it out there too, letting people know that it exists and making it an inviting. Uh, um, thing for people to engage with, mm, and mm. I think um, that's how you build your audience o- over time. You know, consistently, um, you know, do good. Well, I don't even know what it means to do a good program, but I mean, I think the show, um, you know, it speaks for itself. It's the same format every week, and um, mm. I just think the uh, the concept of the show is interesting in and of itself because, um, as I, you know, we were talking about before, hearing the experiences of experiences of ordinary people it's really um it's uplifting it's inspiring and it also um 
makes you um, realise how much we have in common with each other, um, especially around, um, you know, some tricky things like mental health and things like that. Um, when you hear other people tell their stories um, and you can identify things about yourself that, you know, you may have also struggled at brings people brings the community together I think in that way and there aren't many shows like that going around and that's what's also special about this one I would say yeah even on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation Radio National they call what they describe as a conversation program and it can be very lightweight because we don't have people here to advertise their books or their latest records and you'll see that most people on commercial radio it's about a product they want to sell therefore they're willing to put themselves out in the public arena and uh, again, on public radio, I've noticed it's always about something that something's going to, you know, written or a play or a comedy skit or something. You know, it's about monetizing the interview. This is not about making money. Kelly and I, we're volunteers. We don't get paid, and we haven't we've never got a cent. Although we've been asking for a, a wage rise for about a thousand years. Kelly, can I ask you a mathematical question? Were you good at uh, maths at school? No, maths wasn't my forte. Well, look, uh, how much do we earn currently? Zero. Now, if I asked for a 7% pay rise and threatened to go on strike and they gave us a 1,000% pay rise, how much would we earn? Zero, 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 zero. Zero, zero still zero. zero. <laughs> <laughs> zero. And that's the other, the other strength of being on a community radio station. We're not here flo- We're here to share ideas, but we're not here to flog you a bloody product and we're not here to have a competition to say, if you write to us, you got a chance of winning five eskies full of cold beer. You know, it's nothing like that. What we're doing here is, like you said, storytelling, the essence of human existence. I mean, it's interesting how when people tell stories, I mean, I can interview five people about a person and everyone's got a different perception of that person. Somebody might say, that was the worst person I've ever known. As a father, he was a total deadbeat. He was just a sperm donor. And then the next person says, oh, he was such a wonderful human being. He's, you know, he's the best father a girl could have. It's interesting, the perceptions. And, and obviously, you may hear somebody on radio and you think, my God, they've gilded the lily. Well, you can also be on Radical Australia and Gilda Lily. Now, as a young person, mm-hmm, I describe mm-hmm. you as young in comparison to myself. Have you got any um, hopes for the future? For myself or for the world? Both. I mean, <laughs> you, you and the world are one. Remember, we're the centre. Each individual is the centre of their own world. I think you have to have um, – it's all about what we talked about at the beginning. You've got to have that personal revolution, I think, first, and you've got to choose to be a positive person in the world and you can't let – you know, so what they say, don't let the bastards get you down. You can't mm. because then they've won and what's the point of living so, I don't know, um, pessimistically like that. Um, but I think you need to come to that, you know, powerful personal um, understanding yourself. And um, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought there. But, um, yeah, there's always hope, I think, hope. Joe. And mm. um, But you have to be the change that you want to see in the world, I think, you know, like... Well, that's hope. Yeah, a lot of people are waiting. I mean... Uh, the, the you organi- can't wait for some no. saviour to come along no. and no. Um, no. Wave, wave the magic wand and... Yeah, yeah. It's up to us. We have to do the grunt That's work. right. Yeah, like um, public interest before corporate interests, which I'm involved with, our slogan is, 
we are the people we've been waiting for. Exactly. We. And that's and that's the catalyst for change is people taking action. Because the last 3CR radio phone was very interesting. The, the artist who you're going to grab for us one day to interview, who did the poster, it's a slingshot full of people on top of Radio 3CR and they're about to be launched into the world. Yep. And that's what Radical Australia is. We're one of those people in that slingshot and we're out there to um, change people's opinions. And people are capable of change. They are capable of change. I mean, I've seen extraordinary transformation both ways. I've seen radical activists become horrible, horrible reactionary conservatives, and I've seen reactionary conservatives become radical activists, and it's possible. Yeah. So what what are those numbers, if you want to be a guest? Zero three nine four one nine. 8377, that's to call uh, 3CR, or drop me an email at radicalaustralia3cr at gmail.com. Or leave a message on 0439 395 489. Thank you, Kelly Whitworth, for your time. And I'd like to thank your imaginary sister, twin sister, Kerry. And I'd like to thank all those listeners who uh, listen to Radical Australia have made it the program it is. But we need you on this show, we want a wide variety of opinion and people and stories and experience. Thanks, Joe, and thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality, and a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.